Welcome, this is One Hour of Sunshine, and I'm your hostess, Megan Joy Haverda. We are filming out of the sandbox in Santa Barbara, California, a co-working hub for entrepreneurs and change makers. This show is for business leaders that are willing to finally admit that they use their intuition to make business decisions and to navigate their lives. This show will elevate and normalize intuitive skills in the workplace and allow such skills to be seen as great assets for companies, organizations, communities, and families. Our guest today is Dr. Andrea Neal. We'll be speaking with her in a moment, so stay tuned for her story as an intuitive. We will also be showcasing a very unique apparel uh, today designed by local artist, musician, and speaker, Taki Gold. Taki will be joining us on set and sharing his story of escaping Liberia as a child soldier. Packed day. <laughs> so um, every day, uh, every time we do the show, I share an intuition of the day. And um, what I realized today is that um, what comes through intuition is not always unpacked. It can be metaphorical. So intuition isn't always a straight shot, straightforward sentence. It can come in metaphors. And so I, I was laughing this morning because I had this terrible dream, this one where you just kind of wake up panting and, you know, you don't know the math answers and you're naked at school. You know, just like the the most terrible dream. And so I, I analyzed the dream this morning and I unpacked it and I thought, you know, I'm going to share this with the guests on the show and with Andrea because intuition sometimes has a has a, a, a magical twist that you have to unpack and decipher. It's not always straightforward. Sometimes you have to sit with what you've been given or shown or you know what I mean. It's it's an interesting phenomena. So now I, I'd like to introduce our very dear friend, <laughs> Dr. Andrea Neal. She is a personal friend and um, a woman in business and a mama. So we have a lot in common. It's very good to have you here today. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, so something I was very excited to talk with you about is you're a scientist. You have a PhD in agriculture and generally depend on evidence-based results, especially when working with mostly men in the workplace, you want to prove and show and have, you know, evidence-based results to, to lead discussions and decisions. When did you first decipher this scientific kind of willful way versus ego versus intuition? When did you start to see, oh wait, these three are different? <laughs> from the beginning? From, the, from birth? <laughs> How did you how did you start identifying the three? Oh, that's that. That is that. And oh, that's my intuition. Okay. 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 So my dad is an engineer and my mom is a cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm an unusual mix of someone who's an analytical thinker. Yeah. And so I've always had to kind of have that balance of analytical thinking and explaining things in an analytical way, but also the emotional touching and you know cheering other people on and support and yeah. empathy way yeah. so yeah. Um, I'm an unusual mix yeah <laughs> yes yes you are <laughs> um, something 
that I would love to talk with you about today is our shared passion for water. Mm. When um, I was living in Washington, D.C. in the year 2000 um, through 2003, and I was working in international development and getting a master's degree in public administration. Um, but one day I was walking the halls of the World Bank, and I was there for a brown bag, and I noticed that there was a white paper on every single door in all the corridors. So this was a major campaign. And the white paper's title was, The Next World War Will Not Be Over Oil, It Will Be Over Water. And I stood there, and I could literally feel the words seeping into my DNA on the molecular level, and I was going, oh, shit. <laughs> Standing there, you know, early 20s going, this is serious. I feel how serious this is. And now here we are all these years later, and you have created a company that's very much addressing water issues. So I'm happy that you're at the, um, at the lead on this important issue, and I would love to hear when did you when did you shift from agriculture to water and how did you how did you understand the magnitude of the water crisis and then switch your professional focus i've always been into environment even at a really young age i mean all of my papers growing up were about rainforests <laughs> and seeking medicinals <laughs> out of new plants <laughs> and so that's what i went to do in college i wanted to find new medicines and I ended up studying lipid biochemistry and getting a PhD in it um, from Sweden, from Messelu in Sweden. And during that time, I started diving. I picked up diving and I loved it. And I was really interested in sea sponges because they created these very unusual hmm. fatty acids. Hmm. And so I wanted to start studying coastal sea sponges, specifically demo sponges, and looking at if I could pick apart how these unusual fatty acids were made. They make these very long chain methoxy fatty acids. And during that time, I was doing a lot of like volunteer diving and I dove down on a reef in Flor the Florida Keys and the professor was like, this will be the most beautiful dive you've ever done. And I was so stoked. I was like, I'm gonna see this pristine coral reef. And I got down there and it was decimated. It what was gone. year was that? <sighs> I don't know, 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time so ago. So imagine it now. <laughs> yeah. And I just realized at that point and in that moment that we had done irreversible damage to our planet and I mm -hmm. needed to do something about it. Yeah. So I switched my studies, started dealing with environmental toxicology and started looking at not how plants and animals were producing these lipids, but what was impacting them from an ecological standpoint. So I was on some of the first research teams looking at nanoparticle toxicity and looking at nanoparticles and how they impact um, everything from microbes that we come in contact on a daily basis to coastal areas. And I was also once again seeing the impact of these chemicals and these small particles used in everyday products on the things we love the most, like the ocean. Yeah, and healthy water for drinking and mm -hmm. swimming in. Um, and so yeah. the current, tell the, tell the audience a little bit, how, how did you put this new team together? How did the idea that you guys came up with come together? And what's the idea? Share a little bit. I know it, but <laughs> I've, I'm excited for you to share with the audience because it, yeah. it took a mama bear to pull this company together and play on the level that you're playing. Yeah. 
So we created a company called Primary Water Resources. And when the guys originally approached me, they had started a company and they had some idea that they wanted to find these resources and implement them and sell them to people. And that was about where we were about two years ago. Really simple idea, almost like a oil and gas industry type business model. model. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was still very new. They all had the right tools, but they weren't kind of put together in a cohesiveness yet. So we had a geologist who had mapped all the southwestern United States and the groundwater resources for 40 years. And so we had this beautiful IP that we had. We had two real estate development tycoons who could move into a region and understand all of the policies and also how to get permits and how to move move things quickly from a real estate standpoint. Um, We had some agricultural specialists that were with us. And then they brought in my dad and myself who are engineering science team and overall kind of a business management group. Yeah. And so what we did over the last couple of years, we learned a lot. That's why most people don't get into this business. It's very complex. Yeah. There's a lot of complexity and things that everyone believes are a right and a God-given right. And yeah. I believe that myself. But I also know that as the United States has come, it's also a monetary asset. And so it has to be treated as such, but protected in a way and that everyone destroyed. Yeah. has access and it can be safe and clean for everybody. Yeah. So the first things I did was I got all the guys like caught up in environment. And I just kept teaching them a little bit at a time about environment, the important of, importance of organic agriculture, yeah. the importance of how we impact the land, where contamination comes from, because that was a new lesson for them. When we were looking at water sources, they didn't understand, Mm -hmm. well, an old mine could actually impact the water source we were looking at, or um, agriculture that is at a higher elevation than the land we're Mm -hmm. looking at could Mm -hmm. impact the the water source, even the groundwater source that you're looking Mm -hmm. at. Industry, businesses, any of those things, roadways. And so they started to understand contamination at a, a new level. Yeah. And we started putting the business models together, and I'm, a, I'm definitely the modeler. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of the numbers, which fits my scientific background. Well, and I want to say something. You know, you're an integrator, so you've taken all of their incredible skills that they were doing highly effectively in their own silos, and you've brought everybody together, and you made it safe to say what you guys don't know, and then go yeah. figure it out, mm-hmm. and then come up with cohesive solutions. I mean, I think your brain is like a whole systems thinker and not everybody has that kind of synthesizing brain um and i also think some of that is because you're highly intuitive (laughs) well that's part of it (laughs) and i would also say probably every biochemist out there can do this and the reason (laughs) is i think in pathways yeah so i think of all right here's all the things that get to this end product what are the things in between those end products we need what are the information things that we need? What are the energy supplies? Yeah. It's just like a biochemical pathway. It's just with people and money and business <laughs> and <Just> all that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. That is that is very. And if you think about intuition, it has to do with energetic pathways. You mm-hmm. can feel the blocks. You can feel the openings. You can feel, oh, this day is the right day to have the meeting. Oh, this day is definitely not the right day to have the meeting. You know, yeah. you can feel the energetic openings and closures and stumbling blocks well you know business is all about people 
Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. You can have your numbers right, the right product, and everything perfect, but at the end of the day, if you don't have a relationship or an understanding yeah. of people, your business is not going to succeed. You are right. So it's the relationships that you create, and that's a lot of intuition. It's yeah. reading people in a meeting and understanding what they want and yeah. what their goals are. Yeah. Because at the... And even what their fears are, and yeah. to just address them in a gentle way. Yeah. I mean, when I think about people, I think at people's core they always do what they want to do most yeah. in the world no matter what yeah so you have to find what it is that makes them tick yeah. and help them do that and to give them the right tools to continue doing that but also integrate it into the needs of whatever your goals and desires are yeah so it's knowing people a lot and being intuitive about what they want and what they need so that the whole group can succeed yeah very well said and, you know, it, it, it leads me to my next question, which has to do with, um, I always crack up when I think of the old sayings, kind of the old guard or the old way of living life, like two kill, you know, killed two birds with one stone <laughs> and um, he's a self-made man. You know, these sayings really crack me up because people still say these things and maybe we could improve them a little <laughs> but let's talk about the one that is uh, he's a self-made man you and I both believe and, and I know this about you that that no one is completely self-made we all have hands helping us we all have mentors we all have influences we would not be who we are without bumping up against all these other people and influences and inspirations in our life yeah. so I thought it would be um, fun to hear one of your stories. I know Mary Crowley of Ocean Ventures is very impactful in your life and directions you've taken. Caroline McDougall, who I also know and share a birthday with, um, has been a big impact on you, your father, and certainly your current business partner, mm -hmm. um, Ted Moore. So would you like to share one story about how they came into your life? Because it does... It takes a lot of discernment and intuition and ability to attract what you need at the moment you need it. So it's as much them responding to you as you reaching out to them in a vulnerable way saying, yeah. help, I'm really <laughs> curious about this. Um, and, and you have a lot of powerful, wonderful people around you that love and support you. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Give me one example. So. The first thing I want to say is it really takes a village. Oh yeah. And to make environmental <laughs> impact, it takes a it takes a huge village and yeah. I could not be where I'm at if it hadn't been for the kindness of others. Yeah. And for people stepping out and helping me and getting me through um, either problems or giving me a leg up or making introductions for me. Yeah. And I think it's all of our social responsibility to do that for all of the people coming up below us because yeah. we've got knowledge to impart and to yeah. share. Yeah. And even as simple as opening up a bedroom when someone's traveling. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many people's couches and beds and things I've slept on over yeah. the years and really famous people have let me into their <laughs> homes. <laughs> if they only knew. <laughs> but it's all been this helping manner. So one of the people who's been most impactful in my life is Jean-Michel Cousteau, who mm -hmm. just had his 80th birthday. Mm. and. I was in the midst of changing careers. I was on my second postdoc at UCSB. The economy had just crashed. And I went to a Jack Johnson concert, because I love Jack Johnson. 
<laughs> and, Another local. <laughs> and he doesn't know how much I love his music, but I really love it. <laughs> and I went to his concert, and Holly Lohais and Jean-Michel were on the stage talking about what they do. And I was like, you know what? I want to do that. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do with my life. They're, they're mm. being so impactful with every moment that they have. Mm. So the next day, I actually walked into Jean-Michel's office. <laughs> He's never in his office, so I was so lucky he was there. And Holly got my CV, and she looked at it, and she's like, okay. Remember, hardcore science, academic, you know, CV. And so she handed it to Jean-Michel. I think she wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And he read through it and called me into his office and looked at me with his cute French accent. And he said, why are you here? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm bored. Give me something to do. <laughs> and he did. And I helped create environmental campaigns and awesome. things like Day Without a Bag, totally outside of my spectrum as a scientist. Mm -hmm. Did fact verification for them on mm -hmm. movies. And then Jean-Michel started just sending me in his replacement to conferences. Mm -hmm. And I started meeting people on a different level. And it really kind of started the whole momentum of things. And it opened my eyes to both communication and how do you talk to people mm -hmm. so that they understand what you're looking at. Because as scientists, we may see very clearly the impacts of action or contamination or chemicals, but we don't always have the tools to communicate that to a wider audience. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's not something that we as scientists can do on our own. The steps to make change are in everybody, and we all have to make those steps. I agree 100%. 150%. <laughs> um, well, that's an excellent example. I know he really means a lot to you. Um, so, when, as a leader, as the mama bear, even in this company that you're um, leading right now, when your intuition is so strong about something and you have to tell a colleague, this is how I really see it, this is how I really feel, how do you go about it gently so that you don't intimidate or uh, put them in a defensive position? Well, I guess I first surround myself with people who understand that I'm really just straightforward and mm -hmm. I will tell you how it is. Mm -hmm. And they may not always like it, mm -hmm. but they accept it. Mm -hmm. And they also know that I expect the same from them. Yeah. And As that you're coming <coughs> from a pure place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it, and that comes to intuition. I, like other people in business, I have paid my stupid tax many times over <laughs> I have learned the type of people who you should not put around you and the type of people you should mm -hmm. and I pick my teams very carefully mm -hmm. and I you know from the beginning the people I surround myself with are people who know and trust and care and can communicate openly because if you can't communicate openly yeah. as a group it's really hard to move forward and progress yeah very time-consuming to mm -hmm. always be <clears throat> stepping on eggshells or whatever you want to call it there's there's no time for that no and <laughs> politics is just kind of like from that standpoint like is just kind of a waste of time yeah you want to be able to move your business forward you want to be authentic yeah. not only to your business partners but to your customers and to yeah. the people that you're servicing well and that's a that's a very good way to look at intuition and, and when i open the show and i talk about intuition as an asset one of the things I say when I'm working with companies or building new companies 
You know, intuition actually saves a lot of time and money. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of time and money. And that is very valuable to businesses. Well, when I've ignored my intuition, I have lost a lot of money. Yeah, so. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Ow. So, you know, if you if something's in the back of your head and it's saying, come on, Dre, something's not quite right. Yeah. It really isn't quite right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're also a mama mm-hmm. and you have a three-year-old son, yeah. as do I. <laughs> they were both born in December. Um how are you raising him using your intuition knowing it's an intense world understanding how important it is for him to develop all of his senses including intuition um how do you how do you go about that with him do you do is it just your manner your tone your presence do you actually talk about dreams how do you how do you bring this into his life Mm. Well, the first thing is I always want him to express what he feels authentically. So he doesn't hide it. He doesn't suppress it. He just, and three-year-olds are the best at that because they just, they let it out. Unleash. (laughs) But I think over time we don't, you know, through society, we repress some of that. And so I always want him to feel what he feels. Yeah. And you know, he's going to be a smart kid. That's not even a question, but I work on things like empathy and making friends and how do your friends feel? And I think it's important to recognize other people to develop your intuition. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you can't connect with other people, you won't have intuition about who those people are. Yeah. And, you know, he has a different heart. You know, we talked to him about lots of things. Driving home the other day, he, he didn't see there was a fire that they were, had been cutting down trees because they were out of their water allocation. And I had explained to him, you know, they cut down the trees and they were burning them. Well, the next time we drove by there, he's like, Mama, I don't see the fire. And I was like, well, they already, you know, burned those trees. And he's like, why'd they burn the trees? And I said, well, they were out of water. And he said, we got to fix the water, Mama. And I said, well, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> and he's like, so sweet. And he's like, and so right. <laughs> I don't want my trees to be flat. And I said, I don't want your trees to be flat either, honey. Mm. And he's like, Mama, I've got tools. We can fix the water together. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so proud. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. And you just reminded me, Teo's, my son's first word was agua. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, that's, they have so many gifts for us. That's the other side of it, you know, and knowing that they are intuitive and trusting the things that come out of their mouths mm-hmm. granted sometimes there's just three-year-olds having a complete meltdown but <laughs> sometimes there's very deep wisdom that comes mm-hmm. out and to really hear it and let them be mirrors for us so we keep learning and growing yeah. so some some futurists some thought leaders say you know it's really not about gender anymore it's more about masculine feminine balance inside of each of us And I really agree with that point to a degree. So yes, we are each a makeup of feminine and masculine energies and how we balance those in ourselves, how we uh, work with the best of the feminine as a dominant feminine, as a woman, and really cultivate the strong, healthy masculine in me. That is my responsibility. That is your response. We're all doing it, right? To the degree that we are. 
But I take pause at that sentence as a blanket always true sentence um, about it not being a gender issue anymore because our infrastructure is still very, very old. <laughs> and in that infrastructure, you know, we, we still have terrible health care policies, maternity leave issues. Uh, our medical community is still looking at results from male tests only and trying to treat women, equal pay, rape culture. Like, I, I don't know. I think I'm still okay talking about gender issues as alive and well. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not quite willing to bury them as if they're gone and past now because we've had a few great outburst campaigns around the country and on Facebook and marches on Washington. We have a lot more marches to do. So I wanted to play with that idea. You know, what part of it do you agree with and what part of the gender issues do you address on a weekly basis? Hmm. How are you leading as a woman um, in this <coughs> infrastructure that we are changing and bringing new life to? Yeah. So. I actually talk about this with my business partners a lot Good. because they're older yeah. and they're men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I met them. They're awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. And they have been so understanding about my son comes first always, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And they are willing to be lenient and flexible. And they work with me on that flexibility, which I think Beautiful. is so important and becomes the corporate standard for our company. Yeah. I also feel really strongly about every board should have a woman on it, yeah. no matter what. All companies should have at least one woman on their board, yeah. if not more. Yeah. And it just sets precedence for a different point of view. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. Mm -hmm. We want to have different mm -hmm. point of views so we make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I lived in Sweden for a long time, and I really love the way that they give um, time off for maternity leave for both the men and the women. Yeah, yeah. I unfortunately did not have that <laughs> starting a business. You know, Rowan was in boardings, board meetings with me from the time he was a couple weeks old. Yeah. You know, strapped to me. Yeah. And, but, you know, to his benefit, he's now the top negotiator I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> That's like the bane and boon of a very smart child. It's like, oh no, I taught them too much. <laughs> But they, I think they come out pre-baked, you know, as people yeah. and all the influences, of course. Okay, so um, where, do you, where do you see um, your feminine leadership having the most impact in the world? What, what, is, what part of your community life is most receptive to your whole system's way of, of being and your generosity, sometimes people can't receive. Yeah. So where are you getting the most receptivity at well, the moment? Well, I guess I want to back up a little bit on one point. Because I've been in the nonprofit community and the for-profit community, and I work with a lot of women, one of the thing I see as a trend that I think needs to change is the lack of pay. Mm, and the lack of pay for people who are passionate, men or women, but passionate about what they want to do and what they want to achieve. Yeah. And people should not suffer for that passion. They should be paid appropriately. Yeah. And we should pay for things that are so integral to life, like water, the same way we look at our iPhones. Yeah. And we should put the same level of intellect and the same level of 
um, payment for people who are working in those jobs to incentivize the best minds to work on those problems. Teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I see that across the board. And so if that's something I can start to change and to make the status norm, yeah. well-paid people who are working w in their, their path that they are most passionate about, yeah. that are making impact on the environment and making the world a better place, that's something I would really like to do. Beautiful. I think it's super important. Beautiful. Thank you. So, my dear, we are closing your, <laughs> your portion of the show now. We're going to take a short break, and then we will introduce Taki Gold, who makes incredible apparel and makes war beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Andrea. Thank we you. Will, we will be talking with you again soon. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you. Well, welcome. We just returned from a break, and we're here with Taki Gold, who has become a new friend in my life, and he's an incredible man, um, mentor, basketball coach, artist, musician, writer. It's very, very good to have you here today. Thank you for having me here today. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought incredible pieces with you. Um, you're producing them locally, and um, every jacket has a lot of different symbols on it. And I would think all art, I'm a painter as well, and all art really draws on intuition. So when did you first get the idea to make war beautiful through garments and using the symbols that you have. And maybe in your answer, tell the audience a little bit about your background. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm Taki Gold, mm -hmm. and um, at age six years old, I was a child soldier in the Liberian Civil War. And the girl who held my hand the whole time became my god because she um, showed me the gifts that was in all the endless amount of choices that I had, um, regardless how hard the experiences were. Yeah. And um, so in those experiences, I constantly saw men force girls on their backs. And what that did to me, that kind of sparked uh, a healing to create Girl God, which is um, a wearable crown for um, just to show the beauty in girls that are going through through their wars now. Um, just to show the beauty um, in their breakthrough, pretty much. Yeah. And so I'm just crowning girls everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you survived, and I'm glad that you are speaking about such... Um, an impactful childhood experience everybody has them you know whether it's war or molestation or abandonment you know everybody has their version of difficult and it's uh, it's been really a pleasure to get to know you and hear more and more of your story and I would like to show the audience a little bit of the jackets and the symbols that you very uh, purposefully weave into the coats and, and the messages that you put there and how they smell. We can't let them know how they smell, but they smell really good. They, they <laughs> smell just like me. <laughs> that was my little ego going into it. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about ego versus intuition in a minute. 
so um hopefully this is visible yes good so these are um these are military jackets that um pretty much display how how i saw war uh when i was six uh these gold dots here they represent um wounds so i've seen a body cover in gun wounds like this before and um but this also represents um, everyone who's going through their war all of the steps that they pretty much have to take um you know before they built their castle uh these sorsky crystals are the diamonds that we fought for um so explain that a little the the diamonds were actually on the property um that your family resided at and a lot of the war headquarters took over right on on that very property is that true yeah it um the the creek f like kind of flowed through it yeah. So um, it was part of the the creek. Yeah. Um, but our home, our property, was where uh, Charles Taylor, who um, the warlord that took over, he actually lived on that property. Uh, so actually, our property was the only property in Liberia that didn't get damaged because of that. Fascinating. Um, and the crystals are in the creek or in the banks. Um, you mean the, as far as the, the this, this on the jackets or? No, I mean, why was, where do you find the diamonds? Oh, they, I mean, I mean, they're in the, the, the creeks. Like, yeah. we have to dig it. Yeah. Like, and then. I've panned for yeah, gold in exactly. Africa. I, I remember very well. So I was wondering if it was the same. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> um, it's the same. So, um, and then this here. Yeah. This is just uh, the, the universe language of war turn it a little bit there this way yeah. yeah so this is just uh, the language of war and this I try to put on every single jacket and it just represents that there's no wrong turns and there's no right or wrong either because the universe doesn't judge in that way yeah. um, it's the the universe how I saw it it judged on the energy of the individual um, just just the higher vibration so pretty much if you, if you're having fun doing what you're doing so if um if somebody is having a difficult time trying to survive and somebody's having a blast trying to kill someone the higher vibration usually went to that person who was trying to kill so um this is just uh, a reminder to be um to be aware if we if we choose the game of good we have to make sure that we're having a good time doing it. It, sh it, it, it shouldn't be a stressful, painful, yeah. sad for thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because the guest that was on just a moment ago, Dr. Andrea Neal, said as a woman in business, one of the things she really wants to bring forward is that everybody passionate about what they're doing, mm -hmm. whether it's nonprofit, government, for profit gets paid well like if right. you're aligned with your passion let's get those teachers paid well let's get those artists paid well you know it was just yeah. very similar to what you're saying the, the higher vibration is who's having fun who's aligned with what they're doing yeah. so 
Um, tell me about the red collar. The the red is also um, a connection in every one of these jackets. It's what connects us. So the red represents blood, and in war was the hard, the hardest color to blend in. Um, but I I made sure that I connected all these jackets with this color because it's so bold, but so are we. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. So this is this is the only color I saw in in war, and it's something that I just that I had to love. Um, And so how do you, how are, I mean, these are as much art, wearable art as art, as talking pieces. You know, this is, this is like a PowerPoint, <laughs> right? These yeah, I was never good at PowerPoint, so I'm so, <laughs> I'm, I'm so grateful for art. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. um, but you use them as, as real talking pieces, you know, to talk about a very difficult subject and, um, and, a, and a beautiful topic, life and death. And one thing I would love to hear your take on is the moment in life, or maybe it's still an ongoing practice for you to discern, wait, is that my ego talking or is that my intuition? You know, how you've discerned as a, as a strong, beautiful man that survived war. How have you discerned between your ego yammering on and uh, your intuition just floating right through and in um, I've I've learned especially now at this moment to, to trust myself very very much and um, I've I've learned to to fall in love with my ego and to 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 use it as um, for example like a joker I, I laugh at my ego a lot or like so, coyote and Native American. Yeah. Medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Got so it. I mean, so my ego, it becomes my comedy. To to be honest with you, <laughs> but but I mean, in a way, it's um, it's it's also has been a shield to to certain energies that are, are not mm -hmm. supposed to connect with me. Mm -hmm. I pride myself that I'm not anyone that anybody can walk up to. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. But the ones that are that we share the same vibration there's mm -hmm. there's there's no walls there <laughs> so um i i don't think you should you know get rid of anything that's within you because mm -hmm. it's yours mm -hmm. well i that's very well said and and i've noticed the unchecked ego likes control that's right. all it wants right right and when you bring your ego into your heart like it is a child inside of you or something right. and can really discern when it's talking versus when intuition is talking or your true higher self coming from love is talking um i've just found that to be a powerful exercise because even when you bring the ego into your heart it's mm. still there to control and test you and put up mirrors and help you question are you do you want to be fearful do you want to be angry you know it's like the little devil on the shoulder mm -hmm. and that's useful that's useful feedback you know we hear it and then we choose right and if you if you um if you take it seriously then i think i don't know anything by the way so <laughs> so don't <laughs> don't quote okay. me on anything but um in my experience uh, the moment that i took it seriously i started to detach myself from myself mm. 
the the moment that I started to laugh at it because it's really funny. Like mm -hmm. I do think I'm the prettiest guy in the world, mm -hmm. and I laugh at that. <laughs> right? It's like who you know? Yeah. Like I do think I'm ranked. Like I do rank myself. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Yeah. So so I mean, but there was a moment I took it. <laughs> right. See, I'm laughing now. Yeah, yeah. I took that part seriously. I get it. And it was, and I detached myself. But now it's, it's um, yeah. it's basically what what keeps me light. Yeah. Yeah. I can really relate to that. You know, I grew up um, outside of New York City with two madmen parents, and I was a child model from a very young age. And I did it through teenage years, and it confused me, you know, about mm -hmm. the female body and what I was supposed to look like. And, oh, but I wanted to be an athlete, too. And, oh, All but right. you, can't get, you can't get big muscles. You have to stay skinny. You know, it was just... It took many, many years for me to not have my ego dictating what pretty was for me mm. and and have my heart and my soul dictate what beauty is and was for me. So it was a journey, and, and you're a handsome, fit man. You know, I'm sure you've... <laughs> I do okay. I, 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 I had to get I, real with yourself. I do okay here in Santa Barbara. I, I do okay. <laughs> well, so um, you you do all these things, and and I've heard you talk about your music and your art and your speaking, but and you light up about all of the topics. But what I've really seen you light up about, maybe it was that day we spoke of it, but it's the boys. It's the basketball. It's the boys that you get to mentor and deepen their sense of self and offer self-reflection. You know, on a basketball court, it could be pure ego. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, you know what, man, how do you feel right now? You know, hey, man, how did that test go? You know. What happened with that relationship with your friend that you had to heal? You know, you get to the heart of it in a very aggressive, masculine uh, venue. So tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, good question. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, the boys, their parents have done so well to have their life um, completely safe. Mm. They've they've done what you know most parents want. They have great schools. They have yeah. great friends. There's no um, uh, I don't know what, to, but no lack or no want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so when I um when I got hired to be uh, their coach, I I just I just felt them, and I figured I should just become what they needed. So in each moment, yeah. So I really um, wasn't the coach. I was just taking them through uh stages and i had a lot of um uh interaction with their parents because just how i was with their kids and i told mm -hmm. them it's like um i'm honest with them you you have to allow me to, to to make mistakes as well because i am completely honest with them however those few mistakes that i do make there's going to be thousands and thousands of of times where those lessons that they would need like the stuff that I do correct yeah. and the stuff that I do wrong it's going to be completely um, unmatched yeah yeah so um, it took a little while for the parents to buy into because I think they they saw their their kids in another light because when we took them for example to LA to play basketball <laughs> yeah yeah and it, it's and, I, and I'm so glad that I did that it's like because here they they're 
you know, they're big shots. They're, you know, and so you, you take them to L.A. And literally these kids are just literally taking the ball. I mean, not even it's like, yeah. give me that. And they just they just froze. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. Well, it's like a, a rite of passage, you right. know, in in communities where there is a lot of safety and protection and money. Mm-hmm. How do we still have rites of passage for our men and our, our boys and our women and our girls? Because mm. I, I know I had to leave Connecticut and go and live all over the world and find my own rites of passage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and a lot of hard lessons. Right. And it was good didn't have to leave this had to meet Taki but um, <laughs> but um, to, to end it off we had um, a tournament this this weekend yeah, yeah. and we won three three games out of right. I mean th- these are our first like wins yeah. by the yeah. way for the whole season awesome. and there are there there's this other kid his name is Luke and he he ran this kid over and just like stared at him and then the, the other coach was like was mad because like he was like you know taunting yeah. and I'm and I'm on the other side, like crying, like super excited that he's actually like, he's 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 grilling the kid, like yeah, I I just knocked you down. Yeah. And these these are the kids in the beginning of the season didn't want to touch anyone. Yeah. And yeah. they've 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 bonded and yeah. It's n- and no there's words. a there's such a fine line, you know. We want our kids to stick up for themselves. We want our kids to have strength and boundaries, and we want them to have empathy, right? right. So right. Right. They had, they had, the, the, the thing is with these kids, it's like the stuff that they lack wasn't the most important thing at all. So that's what was great about them. They're, they're, they're perfect. Okay. Yep. It's just like, I mean, it's not necessarily lack. They just haven't experienced it. Yeah. It's so, broadening their horizon. Yeah. So, yeah. so now they know it's like if, if I don't guard something that I want yeah. and somebody takes it, I look here. Yeah. Because before they was looking, at yeah. somebody else yeah. at their parents whatever yeah. now they Fix look it. here yeah. yeah yeah so and and that's that's the only lesson that I wanted to teach them well and something I have said on the show before you know one of my discerning values or how I want who I want in my life and how I want to interact with people I always ask myself does this person take self-responsibility mm. or are they going to point their finger at me when something's wrong right. and do I trust their process to go within when stuff gets tough or uncomfortable and something I could tell about you from from when we first met which was not that long ago is that you've had a life of taking self-responsibility and now you're in a position to teach others and talk about it and very beautiful well it means a lot coming from a child child model (laughs) (laughs) well and and so so is are the garments that you make are they for you or are they for other people because art can be for oneself or it can really be hey i want to sell this i want to promote this i want people wearing it i want it on the catwalk like what what are these pieces for you? And I know you have a show coming up on May 19th. I will certainly be there at the gallery in Montecito, 6 o'clock. Um, but how, what do you want to do with these garments? I want this to become, uh, first, um, I want the gods who wear this to feel sexy. I, I wanted these jackets to, um, look better or compete with anything 
that's out there because that's the fun of it. Yeah. Um, a, a, a lot of things that are, are done in the heart of good, they lack the art yeah. and the mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. So the look test passed. Yeah. And that was the first They're thing. beautiful. Okay. And that's the ego part. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, next, I want these to be you know, uniforms. Mm-hmm. Because like my uniform, like like, like, like <laughs> your uniform, because because there's um there's there's a language in this, and all I want to do is just make things beautiful. I just want to just yeah put I mean sparkles everywhere and help everyone feel beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's and, that. and that's that's what power is for me. It's just yeah. like to just keep to just keep releasing it. So this is this is the crown because I know what's coming back. Thank you. So if, if we were to offer one call to action to the audience today, what would it be about anything? Um, there is an infinite amount of possibilities in this life, and you're all that. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you, Sandbox, for hosting us here today for the filming of One Hour of Sunshine. I am your hostess, Megan Joy Havida. Have a beautiful day.